0: Okay, with that, let me pray for the preaching of God's word. Heavenly Father, we are blessed, Lord, truly um, by your word that you give us limited, frail human beings wisdom as to how we can live in a way that is pleasing to you. Lord, I pray for my brother and your servant, Tazar as he preaches your word today. May your word be heard by your people through the Holy Spirit, and I pray that you can send the Holy Spirit to write what you want for us to know this day on our hearts, that we may, our hearts may be softened and we can repent and come with you, to you, with great joy and satisfaction. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. Good morning, again, friends. uh, Again, a joy to be worshiping with you today for our sermon. We're going to continue in our series through the book of Acts. Okay, we're going through the series. We're preaching the whole book from beginning to end. And right now, currently, we're at the end of Acts chapter 9. And in our passage today, at the end of Acts chapter 9, what we'll see is that God's kingdom, Christianity, that's been spreading throughout Jerusalem and in Israel, is beginning here in Acts chapter 9 to make its way to regions and cultures that are outside of Jerusalem, okay, even outside of Israel, so that's, that's the main theme of Acts chapter 9. Now, as modern readers of that story, we hear that and we champion it, right? We go, that's great, you know, we like diversity, we want God's kingdom to reach all nations and all cultures and all peoples, we love that, But in order for us to really get what God's trying to tell us here from this passage, we have to first put our feet in the shoes of the original Jewish readers at the day of what they must have felt when they heard the news about God's kingdom spreading to other regions and other cultures. They weren't too happy about that. They don't like God's kingdom reaching other cultures and other nations and other regions. Why not? Because for centuries the Israelites were used to being the only nation and the only culture that's considered as God's people. Remember, throughout the Old Testament, God's kingdom was localized where? In the nation of Israel. Because that's kind of where it started, right? With Abraham and the father of Israel. And that's where it stayed for centuries. And that's what they're used to. They're used to being the only nation, the only culture that God that God's kingdom included. And they started to think that because of that, they somehow have a monopoly over God's kingdom. And here in Acts chapter 9, God's telling them, no, you don't. No one culture or race or people group or nation, sorry, or ethnicity has monopoly over God's kingdom, okay? That's the point here in Acts chapter 9. God's kingdom and its benefits will go forth uh, to other people, even cultures, That the Jewish people might have looked down upon back then, okay? So that's what God's trying to say here, a lesson I believe that the church today, perhaps even our church, could still learn a lot from, okay? Let me first read our passage out loud, and then we'll jump into it. This is the Word of God, Acts chapter 9, verse 32 to 43, about His kingdom spreading to cities like Lydda and Joppa, which are beginning to move outside of the bounds of Israel. This is the Word of God. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now, there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room, All the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened up her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord, and he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Thus says the Lord. Okay, a lot of stuff there. Let's get into it. There are three things that I want to point out from our passage today about God's kingdom spreading. First, its benefits. Second, its ultimate benefit. And third, who we're meant to share it with. Okay? It's benefits, its ultimate benefit, and who we're meant to share it with. Let's start with our first point God's kingdom spreading, its benefits. Okay, so what we saw happen in our story today is that the apostle Peter went to two different cities, right? Lydda and Joppa, cities that are a little bit outside of the bounds of Israel. And when Peter went to these cities, he brought with him God's kingdom, and God, God's kingdom benefits there which is what? Well, we just read that one of those benefits is physical renewal, apparently. Right? That's what's happening in this passage. Peter healed a man who's been paralyzed for eight years in Lydda, and then he raised a dead woman back to life in Joppa. And if you're hearing that and it's freaking you out because you don't know what to make of that, don't worry. You're not alone. A lot of people have a lot of questions about these things, and we'll get into that later, okay? But for now, here's all I want us to focus on for now, that in this passage, what we see is that when God's kingdom reaches a city or reaches a region, maybe a church gets planted there, or maybe a lot of Christians move there. What happens is, in that region and that city, they should experience some kind of physical renewal. That's one of the benefits of God's kingdoms. That's the point here. And that's really important for us to see, because I think one of the dangers that many churches can fall into today, including ours, is thinking that all we're called to do is the quote-unquote spiritual renewal kind of work, just the spiritual stuff, right? But, But the physical renewal... That's not that important. What's important is preaching the gospel, preaching the Bible, making disciples. That's real kingdom work. Now, that is important, and that is real kingdom work. We'll get to that in a second point. But the physical renewal stuff, healing people's physical needs, often we don't find that to be that important. But let me me ask you this, okay? If you would walk with me here down the gospels for a little bit. Have you ever wondered why? Most of Jesus' miracles... Involved what? Physical renewals. You ever thought about that? A lame man walks. A blind man sees. A dead man rises. Now, why is that? Think about it. Why didn't Jesus choose to do miracles that were more cinematic? You know? Like, why doesn't he just write letters with fire in the sky? Or why doesn't he bring down angels in heaven on a chariot. Why physical healing? Why renewal? Well, because Jesus had a very specific purpose for his miracles. Jesus wanted to give us a taste now, today, of the future kingdom benefits that we'll experience in heaven. What do I mean? Friends, when Jesus died for you on the cross... He did more than just take your sins away. That's, that's usually all we think that happened. Jesus took a document that had all our sinful records in it, and he ripped it apart. And that's true. That's absolutely true. But what we often forget is that he also gave us a new document with a stamp on it. And it says that you are now a citizen of heaven, that you are now a citizen of his future country. A future kingdom, a future eternal kingdom of what? Well, well, of, of tears that will be no more, the Bible tells us. A future kingdom where everyone can walk and see. A future kingdom where death is no more. A future kingdom where you don't have to deal with your dysfunctional family dynamics anymore. That one hit home, didn't it? A kingdom where your heart will feel safe enough to put down all the emotional defenses you currently have up because it's safe there. A kingdom where the mirror and the weighing scale no longer have that much power over your identity. A kingdom where friends are truly friends. And I mean truly, Truly, friends, a perfect kingdom. So when Jesus walked here on earth and he made a paralytic walk and he made a blind man see, and when he wiped away the tears of a woman who's been divorced five times near a well, when he rose Lazarus up from the dead, when he told people to love one another in the way that he's loved them, what's he trying to do? He's trying to give us small appetizers of the future country that he's given us citizenship in through his blood when he died for us on that cross. Here, have a taste of it now. This is what my blood has purchased for you in the future. And what Peter's doing here to the people in Lydda and Joppa in these cities is he's continuing in Jesus' work of giving them appetizers of this future kingdom benefit. And that's what the church is called to do today. We, as representatives of God's kingdom here in Jakarta, we're called to care and heal people's physical needs too as an appetizer of what's to come. And maybe some of you at this point are listening to this and you're thinking to yourself, is Tez about to bust out the healing oil? Like, what is going on? I'm getting a little nervous now. We're supposed to heal people like Peter did here. We're supposed to go around doing healing kakaers and healing conferences and stuff. Don't worry, I don't have any oils with me. And we're not about to do that. Why not? Because I, nor anyone here, have the power or authority to do that. Okay, now let me, let me walk with me here in a three minute sidetrack. Is that okay? I think it will help us make the application of this passage a little bit better. God in this passage isn't telling us to copy and paste what Peter did in Lydda and Joppa. That's not the application. And this is important for us because it's a big issue in our culture today. Why not? Why not copy and paste what Peter did and do healing conferences? Because only apostles have the power and authority to do stuff like this, not us prove it. Okay. If you read the book of Acts or the whole New Testament really, you'll see that aside from Jesus, only the apostles were recorded to have done miracle healing like this. And no one else. Let me let me just go through it with you, okay? And stick with me. I'm going to be a, a little bit thorough here because I think sometimes persuasiveness requires that. Okay, the first time ever a miraculous healing like this was ever done by someone aside from jesus was in acts chapter 3 we studied it guess who did it an apostle peter the second time a miraculous healing like this happened was in acts chapter 5 and you read acts chapter 5 it says that who did it were the apostles that's what it says the third time a healing like this ever happened in the new testament was acts chapter 9 the passage we're studying today who did it Peter, who is an apostle. The fourth time it happened was in Acts chapter 14. The fifth time it happened was in Acts chapter 19. The sixth time it happened was in Acts chapter 20. The seventh time it happened was in Acts chapter 28. And all of those were done by the apostle Paul. And then, that's it. There were no more miraculous healing events like this in the Bible done by anyone else. In the New Testament, you don't, just see christians running around healing people whenever they feel like it the only people who are able to do this aside from jesus is the apostles now let me just show you one more passage okay that explicitly proves this there's two actually i'm just going to bring up one here matthew chapter 10 verse 1 it's on oh it's not on the screen i forgot to ask them to put it on the screen but if you want to turn there in your bibles or your holy phones matthew chapter 10 verse 1 here, Jesus tells us explicitly who he's given authority to do miraculous healing like this, okay? And he, Jesus, called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Who did Jesus give authority to heal every disease and every affliction to? Them. Who's them? The 12 disciples. In other words, his apostles. Okay, we can talk more about that. You have more questions. My point is here is that, no, I I can't just whip out healing oil and copy and paste what Peter did here. That's not the application. That's not what God's calling me to do. Okay, so then the question is, if I'm not an apostle, how can I then apply this passage into my life today and be an agent of physical healing in the city that I'm in? Well, friends, there's a few things you can do. One, you can go-check people medicine. Another thing, you can get people connected to good doctors in a hospital. You can give your money to the poor. You can counsel those who are in need and be an empathetic listener to those who are emotionally distort. You can be hospitable to people who need it. I know one of our members who housed somebody for a week who really needed it. There's tons of things you can do but we aren't called to do what Peter did here exactly, okay? You can participate in mercy ministry events in your church. You know, Covenant City Church has a mercy ministry event. I didn't write that on my notes. I just came up with it just now. I lied. I plan on saying that this whole time. We have a mercy ministry program, and guess what? The person who's running it is very short on volunteers. If you want to apply the command that God's given us in this passage, you can contact us. Email CovenantCityCHMO.com. Contact us lady and she will tell you where the needs are in this city. There are many ways. There are many ways that non-apostles can be agents of renewal in the city that they're in. And just, let me just work with your imagination here. Just imagine and think about what Jakarta could be if Christians in the city took seriously their role as agents of renewal. What needs would be met What would the streets look like when you drive by them? How would your workplace be different? How would your family be different? Let's start there. How would your kids be different? How would your spouse be different? If we took our role as agents of renewal seriously? Okay, so that's the first point. But that's not all we're called to do as a church, okay? We're not called to just meet the physical needs of the city that we're in. There, there's more to it. The benefits of God's kingdom that we see in our story is, is beyond that, which leads us to our second point, its ultimate benefit. Okay, take a close look at our passage again today, and what you see Peter doing in Lydda and Joppa is more than just physical renewal, okay? It's holistic renewal. And where do we see that? Well, take a look at the first story of the paralyzed man that Peter healed in verse 34. Look what Peter did there. It was a physical renewal, yes. But at the end of it, look at the end of verse 34. Look at what Peter said. It's really interesting. After Peter healed him, Ioneas, he said, Ioneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. Now, that's a weird thing to say. Make your bed. What does that mean? And it's interesting because. This phrase in the Greek, make your bed, it actually has a dual meaning. It could also mean set food on the table, like make the table, depending on the context that it's in. Make the bed, make the table, referring to providing for yourself. The point is, and I think commentaries that I've consulted also agree, that Peter's words here to Aeneas after he raised him uh, to his feet had an emphasis on self-sufficiency. He's saying, Aeneas, you can do things on your own now. You can make your bed. You can get a job. You can put food on the table. And what we're witnessing in INS's story, friends, it's not just physical renewal. It, it's also vocational renewal. You see, he can get a job now to provide for himself and his family. And let me ask any of you here who's been out of a job for a while, if you've had a hard time looking for a job and you haven't been able to really provide for your family, for yourself, you can't tell me, that when you finally got that job and you were able to provide for your family, you can't tell me that that wasn't emotionally healing as well. And you can't tell me that that wasn't relationally healing as well as it helped maybe the tension in your marriage because now finances isn't that much of an issue. You see, what, what happened here wasn't just physical renewal. When God's kingdom comes to a city, it brings with it holistic renewal. But, and here's what I'm trying to get to at this point, out of all the kinds of renewals that God's kingdom brings with it to a city, physical, vocational, emotional, relational, psychological, cultural, there is an emphasis in our passage of one kind of renewal in particular, and that is the spiritual. It all should point to Christ, all of the renewals that we do in the city. Where do we see that? Well, take a look at the second renewal story in our passage today where Peter raised Tabitha, a dead woman, back to life. So the story is in verse 36 that there's this woman named Tabitha whose nickname was Dorcas, which, by the way, means gazelle. Pretty cool nickname, if you ask me, if I was an animal, right? No? Okay. Um, Dorcas or Tabitha has this elegant nickname. Why? Because she was a very kind person. And if you read the story later on, you'll see that she cared for many widows. Look at verse 39. Outside of Tabitha's deathbed, there are tons of widows there, and they're all crying, and they're showing Peter tunics and other garments that Dorcas made for them while she was with them. So Tabitha here spent her life caring for widows. She was a relational center for women who's loved their loved ones. She was a financial help for women who lost their source of income because Uh, Widows back then wouldn't have had their own personal careers, you know, perhaps like women today. She provided for emotional support for these women. She was in many ways an agent of renewal in the city of Joppa. But now, look at the way... Here's my point. Look at the way Peter raised Tabitha from the dead. He kind of got all theatrical with it, didn't he? Look at verse 40. First, he told all the crying widows to go outside. That's weird. And then he said... Tabitha, rise. And then after that, he held the risen Tabitha by her hand for this kind of like grand presentation to the widows who are outside. And, and we're reading all this and we're going, what's with all the theatrics? Like, why are you doing all this? And, and Peter did it this way, not because he wanted to show off, but because Peter wanted to do the exact steps that Jesus did when he performed A miracle like this when he raised a little girl up from the dead in Mark chapter 5. When you have the time, read Mark chapter 5 verse 40 for yourself. You'll find there a little girl who's dead. And when Jesus went there to raise her from the dead, he did the same exact steps that Peter did here. First, he told the parents of that little girl to go outside. And then he said, little girl, rise, which in Greek is actually talitha, rise, which is similar to Tabitha. I don't know if there's a connection there. Same steps, though. Parents go outside, little girl, girl, rise, and then Jesus took her by the hand and presented her to her parents. Peter raised Tabitha here in Acts chapter 9, the same exact step-by-step that Jesus raised the little girl in Mark chapter 5. What's Peter trying to say here? Get this. He's trying to say, guys, this wasn't me. I didn't do this. The one who ultimately raised Tabitha up from the dead wasn't me. I'm just a fisherman with anger issues. That's who I am. The one who did this was Jesus. Look at him, not me. That's why Peter raised Tabitha up in these steps, to take the spotlight off himself. And this is really important, friends. When you help someone in need, Is that your attitude? Do you say, look at Jesus, not me? Or do we humble brag? You know what I mean? Micro bragging? Christian, you got to fade to the background. You have to, and you have to put Jesus in the spotlight. Whatever kind of renewal it is God's calling to do here in the city you got to put Jesus in the spotlight. Everything you do as an agent of renewal must point to Christ. And if you do that, well, look at what happened to Peter's ministry here in Lydda and Joppa. Look at verse 35 and 43. Everyone there in those cities started coming to Christ, which is the ultimate benefit of God's kingdom, a renewed relationship with the Father through the blood of the Son by the power of the Spirit. Here's the point. All of our philanthropy, Christians, should point to Christ. Now I'm not saying you gotta do Bible studies every time you give food to the hungry. I'm not saying you gotta give this whole gospel presentation whenever you give money to the poor. No, not necessarily. That can sometimes feel manipulative and coercive even. So be smart about it, be wise about it, be creative about it, don't be abrasive about it. But somehow, You've got to try your best to make these appetizers of the future kingdom somehow point to the king. That's all I'm saying. Okay? So let's summarize. First point, wherever you go, Christian, realize, like Peter, you bring God's kingdom with you, whether you like it or not. You represent it. And the ground in which you tread should slowly look more like heaven tomorrow than it did today. That's a call here, holistically, physically, emotionally, culturally, relationally. And as you do that, second point, you should continually point to the king of heaven, to the king of this kingdom, to his cross, to Christ, so they can experience the ultimate renewal that God's kingdom brings with it. And now, as we move on to our third and last point, here's the hard part, okay? As if everything that we talked about up to now wasn't hard, this is the hard part. We're meant to apply these kingdom benefits, Christian, to everyone without prejudice. And that's really the main, main point of our passage today. So God's kingdom benefits, its ultimate benefit, and who we're meant to share it with. Okay. So remember in the intro earlier, I said that this passage was God warming up the original Jewish readers to get ready for the fact that God's kingdom is about to include a lot of other people from a lot of other races and cultures and nations, okay, right? That's why he goes to Lydda and Joppa, and they, did, they didn't really like that. They didn't want other cultures in the kingdom because many of them felt superior uh, than these other people in these other kingdoms and these other nations, I'm sorry. The Israelites felt superior than other cultures. So God here breaks out the news to them kind of like step by step, very gently. First, he starts where? In Lydda, right? That's the first city Peter went to. Lydda was 40 kilometers away from Jerusalem, and it had only 50% Jewish population. So when the original Jewish readers read this, they must have felt, uh, you know, 40 kilometers, that's a little far, but I guess there's still 50% Jews there, so I think it's still okay. We'll let it slide. But then the second city that Peter went to was, in verse 36, is Joppa. Now, Joppa was another day's walk away from Lydda, away from Jerusalem, and only had about 20% Jewish population at the time. Now, at this point, they must have read that again and said, Joppa? I don't know, Peter. 20% Jews is a pretty low percentage. It's probably about time for you to make your way back now to Jerusalem, to, to our people And then, to top it off, the very last verse, verse 43. Look at where Peter stayed in Joppa. He stayed with Simon, who is a tanner. Now, if you don't know this, a tanner is someone whose daily job is to make leather from dead animal skin. So every day, they would work with and touch dead animals. And if you know anything about Jewish tradition back then, that's a big no-no. That's unclean. You don't touch dead animals. (laughs) You see the progression God's trying to do here, the warm-up? Peter not only brought God's kingdom to Lydda and then to Joppa, but in Joppa, he stayed in a house of a tanner for many days, verse 43 said. And at this point, the original readers must have thrown the book down and said, unclean. Simon, a tanner? lives in Joppa, God's kingdom benefits is going to go to him? No. He'll stain God's kingdom. He'll make it dirty. Not him. Not them. And, and here it is, friends. If we think like this, then we haven't really understood the gospel. If we think that God's kingdom only goes to people who deserve it, to people who are quote-unquote clean, then you have missed the point of Christianity all together. Let me ask you now to think about what happened to quote-unquote unclean people when Jesus touched them in the New Testament. I'll I'll come back around to my point here. Remember the Old Testament, when a leper touches you, what happens to you? Do do any of you know? When a leper, when an unclean person touches you, you become unclean too, right? The uncleanliness kind of comes to you. And you can't do like spiritual stuff or routines for like a month or so. But do you remember what would happen to lepers when they touched Jesus in the New Testament? Jesus didn't become unclean. What happened? The leper became clean. When the king of God's kingdom touches a dirty sinner, he doesn't become sinful. The kingdom doesn't get dirty. The sinner gets clean. When Peter went to Simon the tanner, the Jews thought that the kingdom of God would get dirty. But Peter knew better. No, no. That's not how God's kingdom works, he says. Peter knew. Oh, he knew. He denied Jesus three times himself just before this. Peter knew. You don't get clean and then enter the kingdom of God. That's not how it works. The kingdom comes to you and cleanses you. Well, so then, where does all our uncleanliness go to? Friends, it went with the king to his cross. Our king took all of our filth upon himself So that he can grant us access to his eternal kingdom. That's the gospel. No one deserves this. Do you get that? No one deserves God's kingdom benefits. Who in your life do you feel like doesn't deserve it? Who in your life do you feel like doesn't deserve God's kingdom benefits? Your husband? your wife, your parents, your coworkers, your boss, a friend who's betrayed you, a fellow church member maybe? Who do you find to be unworthy of sharing God's kingdom benefits with? Don't deny them just because they don't deserve it. If that's how God's kingdom works, you and I would never be in it in the first place. Don't make them pay for benefits that you were freely given. Be an agent of renewal in their lives, in whatever area they may need it in, and point them to Jesus and to his cross in the process. That's the point of this passage. And it wouldn't be a bad goal, CCC, for us to be known as a church filled with agents of renewal, filled with Christians who take this role seriously. And I was serious about that earlier. Contact us. Let us tell you where the needs are in the city. We have a whole program committed to that. And I pray that as we do so, God's redemptive presence will be felt in the city that we're in, physically, vocationally, emotionally relationally culturally and ultimately spiritually and may our king cause the ground in which we tread to look more and more like the future country that we've been graciously allowed into by the blood in which he has shed for us upon that cross will we do that i hope we will let's pray Father, forgive us for neglecting this role as agents of renewal. Forgive us um, for being selfish with our resources, with our time, with our energy. Help us, Father, now to do what Peter did here. Maybe not the exact copy and paste thing, but still be a part of, be an agent of renewal. If it's too... um, hard to think about the big city that we're in. At least help us do so in the community that we're in, the friend group that we're in, 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 in our own families. Help us be an agent of renewal there. Help us, give us wisdom in knowing what can be um, uh, renewed, what can be redeemed, and how we can use all of that to lead them to the cross, to the king. Thank you, Father. I pray you would have the mercy upon us to build us up, as agents of renewal in the city that you've placed us in. For your name, in Jesus' name, we pray.